Nebraska Grows, a podcast for commercial fruit and vegetable growers in Nebraska. I'm your host, Carol Waters, and with me this week is Nicole Stoner, Extension Educator for Horticulture in Gage County. Good morning, Nicole. Good morning. Thanks for being here with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. This is my first like live podcast, so this week. <laughs> Something different, you know? <laughs> cool. Um, today we're talking a little bit about insects. I know this is one of your favorite topics to talk about. And we're starting out with everybody's favorite insect, and I say that sarcastically, uh, Japanese beetles. Yes, that is definitely, uh, it's just one that everybody knows about. Um, unfortunately, the Japanese beetles, you know, they're invasive. They came from, obviously, Japan um, and have moved here. And um, as they've come over here, they don't have any predators to keep their population in check. So it's really hard to um, manage them. And they have over 300 species of plants that they are host, uh, that they feed on. Uh, and the Immature is actually one of our white grubs that is a problem in turf. So, you know, they can just really be problematic throughout. And in um, fruit and vegetable growers, they can do a lot of damage to things like grapes, peaches, um, and in the vegetable side, things like okra, tomatoes. Um, I think, you know, they can be on a lot of other um plants like peppers, eggplant, things like that as well. So um, they can really do some damage. Um, they feed on the leaves of your plant mostly, um, but they can feed on the fruits as well. Um, and when they feed on the leaves, then they cause that skeletonization where you barely have any leaf structure left. It's just this skeleton pattern left behind after they've ate most of the leaf. Um, and that can really decrease the vigor and productivity of your plants. So how does a, a producer who's interested in IPMs, let's say, go about controlling Japanese beetles? Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, you know, if you're looking for the synthetic options, um, there are things, you know, seven works just as well as anything um, for a conventional grower. Um, if you're looking for more of an organic option, um, there's a few different things. For one, um, I know in large cases or large situations, it's not um, ideal, um, but hand removal can be pretty effective, um, especially um, at the six to seven o'clock at night. They seem to be really um bunched up at that period of time. I always, I always tell people it's like that's when they're having their party in the evening. And so they so they um, bunch up and you can go out at that time with a uh, uh, bucket of soapy water and just tap on the top of the plant over that bucket of soapy water and it will cause those beetles to um, be dumped into that bucket of soapy water and then they die. Um, so that can work pretty well for them. Um, there are some, you know, planting things that are less preferred plants around the orchard and garden area um, are pretty helpful as well. Things like um, red and silver maple are not their preferred choices. Um, some of the pines, red oak, uh, things like forsythia, holly, 
lilacs. Um, and then there's even some perennial and annuals you could look at, like foxgloves, columbine, snapdragons, just to kind of rather than bringing them in with more plants that they're really attracted to. So avoiding plants like lindens and roses, which are two of their uh, preferred host species. Um, and then um, as for chemicals, um, as I said before, the seven or the carbaryl or it's now um, zeta cypermethrin, I think is what the new um, car, or new seven is. Um, but the you can also use things uh, if you're looking for less toxic options like pyola, the pyrethrins. There's a BT product that actually works on Japanese beetle, um, the BTG. And then neem oil can work as well. Those um, less risk options are less harmful to other like pollinators, um, but are going to probably need to be repeated more often than some of the conventional synthetic type of pesticides. Um, if it's not on a fruit or vegetable crop, if it's on, like if you're having a lot of them near your fruit and vegetable crops on things that are that you're not growing for consumption, um, you can use those systemic insecticides like the imidacloprid products, but that cannot be used on lindens or those fruit bearing plants. So, And I know um, the one thing you absolutely don't want to do is use the pheromone traps. You know, actually, and I was just going to mention that. So I always say don't use those traps because they bring more in. They work so well. But there's actually um, new research that they're showing um, for commercial areas. It's called mass trapping. So they're actually um, using these mass trappings on um, large scale operations. And so they have to they, like in the research that I was reading up on, um, they had 16 traps used on two and a half acres of blueberries and they had about 20 yards between the traps and they maintained 10 yards between the traps and the crop to be protected and it was working pretty well to control them um, because it's pulling them away from those blueberries into those traps um, they're gonna have to probably be a really big barrel to catch all of them because they do they work way too well um, and so most of the time in in situations I, I tell people no don't use the traps uh, especially for like a home grower uh, but in a commercial setting where you've got a little more space, it might work. Um, so the the research is still um, being worked on. There's not really the research yet to show the trap density of that. Um, but once you get those big barrels of of the beetles, once you kill them in there, um, and that can be as easy as throwing a little bit of water and soap on top of the, the bucket. Um, but once they're dead, you can actually compost them. So... Interesting. I will tell you, uh, as one who has trapped for the beetles for um, USDA work, they are not a pleasant smell. <clears throat> they are not. So if have, no. <laughs> if you have a big trash can full of Japanese beetles, you do not want to be the one that has to open that. <laughs> they are a pretty stinky insect. So, <laughs> But I would still say, I would still contend that most of the producers who are maybe an acre or less or... Uh, mm -hmm. two acres yeah. even it's yeah. still not a good idea to use the pheromone no. traps you need some no you, you need some size to be able to right. make that These are work for large-scale operations it's not going to be for the backyard grower or the small scale they've got a few fruits and vegetables that they're growing for like a farmer's market um you would want like in a large-scale situation yes you could try this but not it, it, like you said, it's going to have to be probably more than two acres. Yeah. So I would say the jury's still out 
right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and if you want to try mass trappings, do so at your own risk. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> know that they are going to catch beetles. Yes. They work very well. And that's why we usually, um, in you know most cases, we're going to help people to avoid them. So another thing that um, is coming down the pike is the spotted lanternfly. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so this is uh, another new invasive species. Um, we haven't found it in Nebraska. Um, I Let's see. I was going to look here. Um, the states it's been found in is all in the northeast of, of the United States. Um, states including like Pennsylvania, um, sorry, Massachusetts, I think, has some. Um, New York, maybe not Massachusetts, I'm sorry. Um, New York, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, West Virginia, Virginia, North Carolina, um, the Michigan area, Indiana. So some of those states um, way up in the Northeast have found it, but we have not found it in Nebraska yet. Um, But it is something to keep an eye out for because the range for them is right into Nebraska. Um, Their highest suitability is way down in the Southeast corner, but um, still pretty suitable up through most of like the Omaha Lincoln area um, and over to like maybe Grand Island-ish um, would be kind of their best range area. But really, mo- all of Nebraska would be suitable for them. Um, so they could be found here. Um, and they're one of those hitchhikers. So if you're familiar with the gypsy moths, uh, gypsy moths are a hitchhiker that we sometimes see in like sporadic outbreaks in the states, uh, throughout the states. And it's one where like they lay their egg masses on RV uh, RVs or your wheel wells or whatever, and then you travel to a new location and they emerge there. This one is kind of like that. They will some they will lay their eggs uh, on some of those kinds of situations, um, but they are a host of or their their primary host plant would be the tree of heaven. And you know you think about tree of heaven and. Eh, Okay, that's all right. Nobody worries too much about losing a few of those, right? Um, They're a little overpopulated anyway. Um, But once they uh, get into the location, then they can find some other hosts that they are um, problematic on um, and could be a real problem for commercial uh, fruit and vegetable growers because they can be on things like apples, apricots, cherries. I think they can be pretty problematic on grapes, Um, And then some of our nut producers as well, um, like the almonds and walnuts and things like that. So they can also be on maples and oaks and poplars and sycamores and stuff like that as well. But um, for the commercial fruit and vegetable growers, it would be things like those apples and some of those fruits and then the nuts. Um, But I think grapes is the one that they um, they can actually kill grapevines in heavy feeding most of the time in other situations on other plants they're not going to actually kill it but it's a stressor and then you combine that with another stressor and that can eventually kill the plant Um, but on grapes it can cause death of some of those grapevines yeah i know it's a pretty nasty insect um i've i've seen the ads out of new york city even they have Mm -hmm. the stomp the the insect campaign going on yeah 
um, in, in New York City because it is so aggressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they can do quite a bit of damage. And, you know, you say the stomp the insect. In a lot of cases, that's a very good mechanical method of control <laughs> for a lot of our insects. You know, the shoe or the brick method work pretty well. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's so, talk a little bit about IPM. Um, mm-hmm. I know a lot of producers um, are interested in IPM and how they can... And for those who don't know, IPM stands for Integrated Pest Management. Um, Tell me a little bit about IPM and how producers can transition into that um, mindset. Yeah. And really, you know, anytime you're managing any pest in a landscape, you should always go with the IPM method. Um, And so this is where you're looking at things like cultural methods, mechanical methods, biological methods, and chemical methods. And you're looking at what's the best way to control the pest at the least amount of environmental harm and the least amount of pocketbook harm, I always say. (laughs) Cost the least, right? If you can uh, do something like crop rotation, um, that doesn't cost you anything and it helps with different pests and things like that. Um, So the idea behind IPM is, is to go through a process where you're identifying the pest first. And you really need to identify that correctly or else you're not going to be able to manage it correctly. And then monitor that pest population. So see where it goes Uh, after that. Then you can develop that management goal. So where do you want to go with it? And then implement that IPM program. So you look through, you find out that you've got Japanese beetle and you say, what I'm going to do for Japanese beetle is I'm going to use BT for it. I've decided I want to use the BT product. So then um, I wait till they get to a to that threshold, which with Japanese beetle is not very high. Um, and then I spray with the BT product. Um, and then what I'm going to do is record that and evaluate those results. So I'm going to come back and keep an eye on it and see, did that work? And if it worked pretty well, it may just need me mean if they start coming back that I need to do it again. I need to respray, or it may be that really didn't do hardly anything to that. Hardly knocked them back. I need to try a different product or a different method. So, or maybe I want to use the BT and combine it with some of the hand removal. So I'm going to go out and in the evening with a bucket of soapy water and tap on that plant. Um, so it's it's looking at. How did it work and evaluating that and seeing what you need to change or not change to continue to control that pest. And it doesn't mean that you're eliminating all pests and it's not an organic method. I mean, this isn't like if you do IPM, it doesn't mean that you're an organic only farmer, right? You can use IPM and still use synthetic chemicals. It's up to you on what you want to use and seeing what works best for you. Um, So some of the things uh, for IPM, so the cultural practices are what can we change in how we manage our garden um, culturally. So things like sanitation. So cleaning up those gardens at the end of the season will help with a lot of your insect pests. Crop rotation, um, because obviously we know that they're going to overwinter right there where that plant was last year. So if you move the tomato from this garden to this garden, you're going to reduce the incidence that that pest is there the next year in that different garden. Um, Using the resistant varieties, um, doing things like your mechanical methods would be like hand pulling, hoeing, um, hand removal, 
the shoe method or the stomping them out method, right? Mm -hmm. Those are mechanical methods. Biological is a little harder. Um, It's not necessarily that we're bringing in a lot of things um, because you don't have little leashes on your ladybugs, right? So you can't keep them there. Um, But it's avoiding injuring those natural predators. So things like um, we get aphids a lot in our gardens, and spider mites. And if you spray those with an insecticide, you're also killing the predators because whatever you're using for that will also kill the predator. And there's um, a pesticide or an insect resurgence that can happen sometimes. And so with that, um, the aphids will come back faster than the predators will. And they actually will sometimes end up with a higher population than they were before because you've killed the the predators. Um, And so Sometimes, you know, it's just we don't want to spray at optimum times when the predator is around or look around in the garden. Oh, hey, I see a lot of ladybugs as well as the aphids. So I'll give it a little more time and see if those ladybugs will take care of the aphids for me. Or in that case, you can say there's a lot of ladybugs, but there's a lot of aphids. Maybe I'll try just a strong spray of water. You know, something like that. Or in the case of the Japanese beetles, using that BT product won't hurt the predators as well. It's only going <laughs> to, the BTG is a, a Bacillus thuringiensis that is towards beetles. It only affects beetles. So it's not going to affect like your mantids or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what you're looking at with biological control. And then after you've tried all of those, then you can look at those chemical methods. So it's really a a mind shift into looking at the bigger picture, the whole picture of tools that you have at your disposal, whether that's using a trap crop or um, mechanically taking them off. Right. Whatever, you know, it's slowly working up to. Maybe you do have to use seven eventually, but you try other methods first to control that population the best you can. Right. And working with an IPM program will also help reduce um, insecticide resistance that occurs. You know, you think about it um, a lot of especially in like the homeowner line of things in a vegetable garden. We go most often to probably a seven product. So if we keep using seven over and over again all the time, then that can lead to um, problems with resistance because they're eventually going to grow out of where that seven is going to work for them. Absolutely. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for joining me today. No problem. It was fun. Good. And uh, I look forward to talking with you more in the future. Yeah, for sure. All right. Thanks a lot, Nicole. And thank you for listening to Nebraska Grows. Please like and share where you get your favorite podcasts.